0: to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the old-fashioned radio, or you can listen online as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, our guest is Natalia Scherer, and this is, uh, and the, the question she has brought to us is, how can we self-organize at scale? How can we self-organize at scale? Now, the the corporation, the, the the primary means by which people organize themselves today in the economy, is actually, in terms of human history, a relatively new invention. How long will it last? We tend to think of it as something that's kind of fixed and eternal, but maybe it isn't. Maybe there are other ways we could organize ourselves. For instance, what if we could organize without bosses, without investors, without um, particular kinds of employment contracts, uh, fixed employment, uh, a job that you hold for years that you have to go to every day of the week? Are we capable of that? Are we capable of building an economy without those kinds of structures with something else instead? Now, in recent decades, uh, the rise of internet platforms like Wikipedia and large open source projects like Linux and WordPress you know, have, have indicated to some people that this possibility is within our reach, that people really can self-organize to achieve amazing things. But often those kinds of projects have been in the minority, and they may be less open and collaborative than they can sometimes seem. They often end up with uh, what the feminists of the early 70s referred to as a tyranny of structurelessness, where uh, in the midst of what appears to be an open, horizontal community, actually hidden um, uh, hierarchies appear uh, that are more hidden and, and, and more pernicious even uh, than the uh, explicit hierarchies that preceded them, a lot of these projects, for instance, have a kind of benevolent dictator for life—some founder or or leader who uh, uh, who has a kind of outsized role in the project uh, with very little accountability. Now, there's a new wave of technology. Uh, uh, in development now that has people, uh, uh, a lot of people, excited about this possibility again. This is the technology uh, of blockchains, of of distributed ledgers. This is the stuff that underlies Bitcoin and Ethereum and other kinds of cryptocurrencies that you might have heard about. These are, are, are networks that enable uh, shared data to uh, uh, be exchanged across uh, a group of people and organizations without any central trusted authority. And what gets people excited about that is maybe through these networks, uh, people could collaborate and build economies without, again, any central authority. So in addition to the the kind of investors and speculators and people concerned about the rise and fall of the value of Bitcoin, um, There's a group of people who are focused on questions of governance, questions of how people can use this technology to self-organize. Now, that's easier said than done. Um, And and we'll hear about that today from our guest, Natalia Scherer. Uh, She's uh, uh, the Director of Ecosystem Development for Dowstack, which is one of these projects using blockchain technology to develop governance for the next economy. It's an attempt to use these distributed ledgers, to use this this network with no central uh, control, to enable people around the world, wherever they are, to make decisions together, to decide what's important, and to uh, uh, create projects that don't necessarily need the kinds of formal, legal, uh, uh, corporate uh, strictures that uh, uh, that tends that tend to dominate in the economy today. And this is part of a broader ambition for what the next social contracts might look like. Uh, but again, this is easier said than done. This is a a, a, a project that already has encountered really significant challenges uh, uh, that we'll hear about in the next hour. So thank you for joining us, all you who are listening and Natalia, thank you for being on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Nathan.
0: Now, what does self-organizing mean to you? When did you first start asking yourself that question about uh, how we can self-organize at scale?
1: So I I grew up in Brazil. And, you know, being there um, most of my life, I, I saw a lot of challenges around, of course, government corruption and how challenging it was for for the population to come together, you know, and, and have our opinions heard or, or to feel that we could actually do something um, to, to support, you know, our neighborhoods or our cities and, and so on. And um, and then, you know, moving forward, I I don't know, around like my early 20s, I also started asking myself the question around, like, how can I get out of the like the corporation um you know, the just the, the expectations that a young adult has nowadays of finding a job and, and leaving that career for for a long time. Um so I started exploring myself, like how I could do that, you know, how I could be my own boss and, and how could I um connect that back to what I saw as a as a child in Brazil. And then feel that what I was working on could actually have also a a, a larger impact and in that exploration i i faced you know many many challenges um and and i
0: was there something was there an experience like maybe in your childhood or uh, uh in your early adulthood that made you feel you could have a life without a boss something that made it seem like hey this could actually work
1: Mhm. So so as a child first I had the experience of like even in my in my house sometimes we wouldn't have enough to eat. So we had the support of neighbors that would come, you know, and, and help each other. And that that was just like the sparkle of all right, like we can do something, you know, together that benefits the the whole even if I'm lacking a part of it. And then um as I I became a teenager and I started learning how to code, and and with the the coding skills I learned that I could earn money by myself on on certain websites. I was like, all right, like I can I can I can do. Does this mean things. you're
0: working remotely? You're getting gigs online mm-hmm. through these websites? Yes, uh-huh. yes,
1: um, but I wanted to do much more than that, and I started working with an organization that gathered. Like I think it was around sixty thousand young people around the world that wanted to solve global challenges. Now that's a really big ask and a big task as well. And when when trying to organize a large group of of young people that all have like a lot of energy to engage in projects locally and um, and build their own initiatives. Um We, yeah, we came across a number of technological challenges on how to coordinate our efforts so they could um, be more aligned. And, um, yeah, I, I started noticing, well, if I if if we really want to organize in the, you know, in the hundreds or thousands or even millions of people towards shared goals, um, we'll definitely continue to see, challenges beyond our understanding. And that's when I came across blockchain technology.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, what about it struck you as promising in that respect?
1: First, it was Bitcoin and how it allowed us to make transactions. Um, So to to just have that exchange of, of value and of currencies without needing a bank and And then I saw Ethereum, which was starting to allow us to create decentralized platforms. So I started imagining things like a Facebook that wouldn't have an owner that wouldn't have like a group of people that um, determine what's the future of that platform.
0: Right? yeah and and the you know where Bitcoin uh, is, kind of a list of just transactions, right? That's the data that everybody shares on that network. Ethereum actually enables you to list programs, right? So rather than just compiling a bunch of, I sent this to you, I sent this to you, you sent this to me, uh, uh, you're able to actually write programs that can be executed across this network. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than just a payment system, it's kind of a world computer and it enables you to then write programs and platforms on top of that.
1: Exactly, which allows us to think of just how we have nowadays on the internet, we have applications, right, on our phones, and, and so on, And you know, with Ethereum, that also becomes more possible, but in a decentralized way. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and in a, a sometimes a little uh uh you know it it, it can be rough going uh you know uh, running a lot of these new ethereum applications you know about half the time it crashes my computer uh you know it's it's a uh, uh, it's a very new nascent space and a lot of people are being motivated by what they see as a possibility but a reality that they haven't quite touched um did you in your early encounters with, blockchain experience anything that made you feel like okay this is this might actually work as opposed to just being a an interesting idea
1: um initially actually i was extremely skeptical about all of it and i i just kept seeing a lot of developers and like intellectuals talking about this this technology but not taking many other factors into consideration Mm -hmm. so i actually i was and and i couldn't test anything very well you know it was mostly just like the bitcoin transactions but with ethereum initially i was just not seeing anything really working that well um, you know from my initial perspective
0: well i'm not surprised you know i remember in that early period you know around 2012 2013 2014 there was a lot of talk about how this was going to uh, be the salvation of the global South. You know, that, that was at least what they were saying, you know, in New York, when I was reporting on the people at the, the Bitcoin center on Wall Street, right? You know, there were, it was kind of a justification, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, this is worth us putting our energy into. We're not just being, you know, greedy with magic money, because this is going to solve all these problems. But it was never actually clear whether anybody in the Global South was finding it to be of any practical use in right, any way,
1: right? Right, and and initially for me it was just all right. We we see a lot of very smart people, but still, mostly Western, mostly North, you know, mostly very intellectual um, and and privileged um, folks that are talking about this. But like, show me the real, show me the real use cases, and then show me something that that can actually work. Um, and in that exploration, I started encountering some, some people that, that caught my attention, uh, you know, with their perspectives and, um, and, and actually in a conference in Brazil, I, I met Matan, which is one of the co-founders of, of the company I work with right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, and we talked about that, you know, and how, how to bring use cases that, um, that we all can start hopefully playing with, um, to, to then start questioning more and start seeing what can fail. And in, in thinking of the questions that the creators of the technology haven't asked yet, um, because yeah, it's all, a, it's a very complex system. And once you move a little piece, a piece in a complex system, you create more complexity and a number of questions, um, that can't really be predicted.
0: Well, I, I remember the first time I talked with Matan. Now, this is his uh, is Matan Field, who is an uh, Israeli He's a physicist, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Um, and I think I first spoke with him in 2014. And at that time, his project was Lazuz, which was a, a kind of decentralized blockchain Uber, right? The idea was, why should Uber control all of the rides centrally? Why not have... Um, have riders and drivers both interacting on this network that nobody really owns and had this, these interesting notions about um, rethinking some of the structures and uh, you know in uh, blockchain economics around this. Um, uh, but it was a really exciting idea for a lot of people uh, about taking down Uber with the blockchain. Um, but a year later, I remember he was on to the next project. Uh, which was a kind of more boring infrastructural project called backfeed, which then you know led into into what you're doing now and and you know you realized that this kind of sexy application was not going to be possible until there was a lot more um, you know infrastructure being built, right
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly where yeah, they chose to focus on for for a few years now and just building that technological infrastructure um, that then allows us to start creating more of those use cases. Um,
0: so say a bit about what Dow Stack is. What where does it fit in in building this infrastructure? What is it what is it set out to do?
1: So Dow was created as like a an end-to-end tech layer to allow decentralized organizations to exist. Um, now when I say an end-to-end tech layer, um, that can mean a lot of things. Um, for us, it means, um, you know, it's a, it's a stack on top of Ethereum with a lot of code. And, and we imagine it as like um, Legos for, for blockchain and for decentralization. So you have set, like modules of protocols and ways to organize and also sets of code that allows um, those protocols to happen. On the technology, and what we've been learning is that, of course, like we we have the tech layer to to support this work, but of course, there's so much more to it. There's there's so much more in order for um, decentralized decentralized organizations to exist, and in order for us to succeed, um, we we need to work with those other. Um, factors and and other um, companies and organizations focusing on decentralization as well, and not only decentralization, right? Like we, we, I can talk maybe a little more about the the experiment we've run so far and how we've learned about the importance of centralization within our context. Now
0: the and the DAO in DAO stack is DAO, right? And that stands for Decentralized autonomous organization, right? Which was which was part of that initial proposal uh, for what Ethereum could enable in the first place, right? And I remember uh, the founder at that time was 19 years old, a, a Russian Canadian named Vitalik Buterin, right? And he announces at this Miami Bitcoin conference uh, that that these uh, this new platform that hadn't been built yet would enable these decentralized autonomous organizations, these, these new kinds of organizations that didn't rely on a fixed kind of legal entity that didn't weren't controlled by any one person, but were controlled by their participants through their participation, that governance would kind of flow through the system uh, organically. Um, And at the outset, he, um, you know, he, he seemed to want to get people excited about this idea, that this could be very empowering, and then he said, "Or it could lead to Skynet, right? Um, which is, of course, the 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 robot uh, uh, computer system in the Terminator movies that uh, declares war on humanity and tries to ex- exterminate us all." Um, so, uh, uh, you know, is there a, um, you know, what does self organizing at scale look like to you? If Dow Stack were successful, what what would what kind of day to day life would it make possible?
1: So to answer that, I'm going to step back for a moment into the bigger picture of it for myself and why I got attracted to it um, to begin with. So we talked about, you, you You made a question, you asked the question in the beginning around corporations and, you know, will they last and um, how have they been serving um, our purposes in, in this society? And um, I think for if we look back in history, you know, we've organized as tribes and we've organized as, as corporations and we um, are organized in, as local governments and or national, national states and, and so on. Um, but now we're getting more and more challenged by global issues. And, and we continue to find uh, more, just encounter more and more um, barriers and how to solve those, um, and, and I believe that we need new ways to, to organize our efforts in a way that an individual can see how their contribution can actually affect you know, the, the collective goal and how the contribution can be aligned with what the collective is doing. And in in a day to day life of someone being a part of something like a DAO, so a decentralized autonomous organization, um, it it could it could mean a lot of things. So it could be someone that still has a job or a part time job, um, but chooses to dedicate a part of their time to this other collective effort, which helps them also earn money. Um, and that they choose so they can they can make a choice about where their contribution is is going. Let's say in a way that the group has decided that you know there's a hundred tasks that need to to be fulfilled um, and people can grab some of those and um, make them happen and and then get paid for it
0: In a way, it's kind of an, an antidote to what, you know, the anthropologist David Graeber has called in his recent book uh, bull uh, blank jobs, right? You know, these jobs that are that feel like nonsense, where people in them don't see any value in what they're doing. They're spending hours and hours doing what they're told and clearly seeing that it it isn't worth them sitting in that seat. You know, probably mm-hmm. a lot of us have experienced that before. I know I have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in a job that you know is... Really useless to society, and and the ambition here is is hey you, you can see the direct exchange of your contribution you you get reciprocity for what you put in. Um, there there nobody's telling you what to do. Uh, you contribute in the way that seems useful and that you feel you can contribute, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know that could be could be very powerful. Now uh, we're listening. Uh, we're we're talking here with uh, Natalia Scherer. Uh, This is Looks Like New on KGNU, and we're exploring the question of how we can self organize at scale. Stick with us, and we'll be right back. This program is brought to you by the KGNU Listener Members and by Quish Sustainable Wealth.
1: KGNU Spring Fun Drive is taking place March 6th through the 17th. Our hosts and staff are working hard behind the scenes to deliver specially curated programs, super fun thank you gifts, and more. We invite you to discover the power of community radio by becoming a member at KGNU.org. Everyone who donates will be automatically entered into two drawings for a chance to win a pair of passes to the Telluride Bluegrass Festival or the Rocky Grass Festival. Tune in and plug in March 6th through the 17th at KGNU.org.
0: Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Uh, this month, we're speaking with Natalia Scherer. Uh, she's uh, the director of ecosystem development for Dowstack, uh, a new blockchain uh, governance platform uh, that is kind of reimagining how people can uh, self-organize. We're exploring the question of how uh, how we can self-organize at scale, how we can self-organize in large numbers, uh, large groups, not just small. Uh, uh, collectives of people coming together and doing something, but hundreds, thousands of people working on common projects together. And that's what DowStack is trying to achieve. Now, one of the ways that this project got going was through what's called an ICO, an initial coin offering. Um, And this came at a moment of a great deal of excitement about this kind of model. Can you tell us a bit about what an ICO is and uh, what it has meant for DowStack what its role in building this project has been?
1: Yes, yeah, so an ICO is usually when a project.
0: An initial coin offering, in, right? Yes,
1: an initial coin offering. So, is when a project offers their coins, usually, um, in exchange for support, financial support for building their company. And um, in our case we we actually started developing our product years before going public and years before asking for that financial support um, and but we knew that in order to continue building the project, we would eventually need um, more money and more funding, but we didn't want to ask for you know venture capitalists or for um, like only angel investors and so on. We wanted people that are truly interested in being a part of this project and actually helping it, develop it, develop it further to um, to be in that process with us and to be the funders of it as well. So um, it was a very incredible and and humbling process also extremely challenging um because as we like we've seen in the market and with with the whole um hype around blockchain this past couple years that a lot of people engaging in initial coin offerings are actually looking more for Opportunities to to make more money, you know, and 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 to invest and. I saw um, a
0: number of like, about eighty percent scams. Was yes. the <laughs> was the calculation?
1: Yeah, so a lot of scams and and a lot of um, people that were not interested necessarily in the projects, but interested in just making more money out of it.
0: Well, it also, you know, in that moment around mid late 2017, when this was really booming, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had people I mean, really essentially what you're doing is giving away digital what, <laughs> if you don't even know, um, and then asking people to pay you money for it, mm-hmm. uh, something that doesn't have intrinsic or obvious value, but which you claim will obtain value over time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And-, and
0: people actually did this for you.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, and in our case we so it's not just like a coin like a a virtual or a digital coin um with no use in our case we act we we call it like a a token which is used within the tech the technological system um for Dao's Tech and supports the entire mechanism um behind behind. Building a decentralized organization, so mm-hmm. people funding the project would have access to those tokens and would be able to use that in the system moving forward. Um, so
0: it's kind of like they were buying batteries to, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to plug into the system when they wanted to use it. You know, yeah. they were, they were, uh, and then in turn would power the system.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we were, you know, always. It was a, it's an intense period for an organization to to go through that process, and I remember thinking before the day we we did the ICO, uh, we launched it. It's like, all right, are we are we gonna get any attention out of this or not? You know, like you can never tell like how much the hype is is real or not. Um, but yeah, we basically sold out and. 60 seconds, and <laughs> raised all the funds we, we had asked for, uh, which was a very humbling experience.
0: How much was that at the time?
1: At the time, it was $30 million.
0: $30 million yeah. in 60 seconds. Yes,
1: which is insane and <laughs> to think of. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge responsibility in our hands, and um, definitely a lot of funds. And when was that? That was in May last year
0: may of last year.
1: Yes. And it was about so usually, you know, what we see is companies raising funds from like a, a venture capital and so on. In our case, it was about 8,000 people that helped us um, raise those funds. And and the plan was to of course engage those people in the development of the of the project and we wanted to do it from the beginning using the system and we said, all right, how can we um, invite those people to make decisions about how we use these funds with us and how can they also be a part of um, those who are going to be earning funds around the project and, um, and in order to do it, we created an, an application, an app just on top of the, of the system we had built and started exper- experimenting with our community.
0: So tell us about that, that app. What, what, uh, what did it do? What's the, what's the purpose? What, what was the kind of initial way that people could start playing around with DAO's tech?
1: So the app is called Alchemy. And it's basically, it's something that helps organizations collectively manage funds. And um, and how it worked for us is that we put some of our funds there. And, and of course, we started small and we're starting small to test, you know, in terms of security and, and how it can continue to, to grow. So we put some funds in the system. And then um, people from the community are able to create proposals so things that they want to do to support the project. Um, and we all vote if that's a good proposal or not. And if a good group, if a, there's an issue of like a majority or a relative majority of the group voting yes, then those funds go straight to to the person that created the proposal or someone else that they listed as, you know, a, a a recipient for those funds.
0: And so what what kinds of proposals have been coming forward?
1: And usually, so we have two, at least two kinds of proposals. One includes funds and the other doesn't. So it can also be decisions around, um, say, someone who wanted to create a meetup in their town and talk about the project. In some of those meetups, they needed funds for renting a space um, and for materials and other cases they didn't need funds but they wanted to check in with the group if that was a good idea we also have people building more technology on top of the system so programmers that come in and say hey I want to develop further this part of the technology and I need funds for it Uh, we also had people um that created even a, a donation fund at some point um, for an organization that was a great example of decentralization, um, but they they didn't have like any tech support for it. Um, but still, it was like a, it was basically a, what a DAO wants to do without the technology. Mm-hmm. Like right, like we and they were struggling a lot. So people were like yeah, we want to support this group, yeah. and they, they made a donation. To them
0: and so already people are helping to build DaoStack stack using DaoStack. stack you know developers are coming in wanting to participate and uh, uh, and they're able to propose making a change to the system or contributing something and then people can actually fund them to do that yes through the system yeah. and
1: they don't need to go through a boss mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. right there's no there's no one at DaoStack stack right now that is the finger deciding um what is what is a good proposal or not it's actually a collective effort
0: you know i i was when i was playing around in it uh, a little while ago one thing that surprised me is i i encountered a, a developer from morocco who i had worked with on another project a few years ago right who again just kind of hangs out in these spaces where people are building interesting things you know looking for work and and um uh, and you know, I found him turning up there. So mm-hmm. there's kind of this kind of global network of people, or something of people, blob of people who, you know, want to be involved in these in these uh, uh, new kinds of technologies and projects, and you know, who are in a sense already living maybe an aspect of that of that uh, decentralized, autonomous life, mm-hmm. um, going from job to job. Maybe it's just old-fashioned temp work. Uh <laughs> or maybe you know, maybe it's something really new.
1: hmm Yeah, yeah. We can definitely see that network of people that, that are engaged in a number of these projects and you know, all thinking about the, the future of work and and how we can we can build our lives that way. Um and I I I see even in, in our community it's still very small. You know, we consider we, we have a group of Around 220 people now, um, but a smaller group that actually engaged with it. Um, but some of them already have earned, like most of their living, monthly through the platform, which is very exciting to see.
0: And they're earning it through these cryptocurrencies. Through they're earning tokens on Dowstack. They're turning them into. Ether on so they, Ethereum they
1: earn they earn either our How tokens. How do they pay their rent? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they earn in in our tokens. Uh, it's called Gen or in Ether. Um but um then they, they can convert, you know, there are many um exchanges where you can convert back to dollars or to your, you know, local fiat currency and, and pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Um
0: yeah, it, it's a, it's a remarkable thing these these exchanges where you buy and sell you know these these tokens. It kind of turns anybody into a currency trader. You know you 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 have to kind of figure out how these things work and watch the markets and and um, you know it's it's one of the examples of how this kind of technology kind of brings at least has the potential to bring some of the kind of. Machinations of high finance within reach of of ordinary, or those ordinary early adopters, you <laughs> could say.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. What kinds of people do you find being attracted to this project and these possibilities?
1: So we have open source developers, so developers that go and collaborate with you know a lot of projects that are building this what we say like transparent technologies or uh, projects that don't have like a private code base um, we have researchers interested in um, new new economies and and new ways of organizing um, general enthusiasts about the future of work um, and of testing new models of collaboration um,
0: and how and has it worked out
1: it's it- been it's it's been very challenging to be honest I mean we we started this this experiment by just simply putting the funds in the system and giving very little guidance to participants, um, both because we were we were unprepared as a company. who had just gone through an ICO, which is a massive effort for us, and um, but we wanted to start testing it immediately. Um, my, we, what we we call dog feeding um, and and dog test the plate like eat your own dog food yeah yeah, yeah. eating your own dog food yeah. and um, and yeah I I think we were very prepared to do it but we just wanted to put ourselves out there and and see what would happen and 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 that takes me back to the tyranny of structurelessness right like where um, I think the the lack of a scaffolding or uh, the lack of a, of an initial structure that allows the group to actually create something that is constructive was lacking in our case and and, and we saw it like it generates this confusion and, and a number of participants that come in that are not really sure of what they're doing and, and how they do it without someone telling them what to do. Um, and it's actually an-
0: wanting a boss
1: yes <laughs> yes and 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 we've seen in now the the importance of um of providing some of that structure as well um and yeah that's what we're we're trying to do now how we can balance this openness and the the decentralization but also with an a structure that that supports it in happening because just like, you know, we have bodies, we have structures that help us do things and use our tools. And and I think that a decentralized, autonomous organization also, I think, will turns out that we'll, I think we'll continue to to see how we also need different layers of, of organizing, you know, in a centralized way to support it.
0: Some of those old habits coming back, maybe they weren't such a bad idea after all. You're listening to Looks Like New. Uh, We've been speaking with Natalia Scherer. Uh, She's a director of uh, ecosystem development for Dowstack, a uh, a new uh, blockchain-based governance platform. And uh, uh, we're talking about the question of how we can self-organize at scale. Uh, Stick with us, and we'll be back in just a minute. KGNU is hosting its Discover the Power Spring Fund Drive, March 6th through 17th. KGNU has been empowering communities since 1978, as well as fostering ideas and inspiration. Tune in during the Spring Fund Drive and plug in and make a donation now at KGNU.org. On Connections, Friday morning, March 8th. It's not easy living in a human environment if you're a dog. Subjected to uncanine sounds and smells, physically restrained from the most natural social conventions, like greeting dog friends by sniffing their butts. This shouldn't happen to a dog. This Friday morning, Animal psychologist Mark Beckhoff and Jessica Pierce like discuss the latest research on stress in the lives of captive canines and how humans can reduce we're it. This speaking with Natalia Scherer, will have copies of their uh, latest book, Ecosystem Unleashing Your Dog, or a, a blockchain, field guide to giving uh, your canine companion Dau-Stack. the best uh, life possible. The future of governance and canine listeners and their human uh, companions the should call in with questions for, it. for Jessica and Mark. Friday morning at 8 uh, Here are self-organized KGNU. at scale and larger numbers of people rather than just small groups of people uh, You know, putting together a project based on a shared passion. How could hundreds or thousands of people uh, work together uh, on a, a common mission without a kind of formal uh, corporate uh, infrastructure uh, that tends to enable these sorts of things? Um, so we've talked a bit about Uh, the development of this idea, the motivation behind it, the $30 million in 60 seconds that you were able to raise last year. Um, Let's talk a bit about the particular experiments coming on the horizon. What kinds of uh, near-term projects is DowStack looking at at being involved in building? You've you've been developing this initial experiment that we talked a bit about, where people are actually helping to build DowStack by parceling out jobs to people proposing them um, but what kinds of projects are coming up what other kinds of applications do you imagine for this uh, uh, this new way of, of, of self-governing?
1: So it's to me it's really amazing to see the variety of, of projects that are that are coming to us um, and and wanting to use the technology one of them being for example a network of 300, co-op banks um, that they for example they have a innovation fund within their network where they um, they support um, startups and especially like um, projects that um, work on agriculture in their country and they want to put that fund in a system like ours where actually the the different stakeholders, not only people working on the banks, but the users can vote and decide which projects would receive the the funds. Um, and then we have more blockchain projects, for example one that is creating one of the exchanges that we were talking about that, that allow people to um, to trade currencies and to convert different currencies. So they want one of those exchanges to be Governed by the users, so everything behind, like the decisions that need to be made on the exchange, yeah, would just there's no owner to the exchange at all, um, and that's starting in April. So we'll see what what will come out of it. Um, so and, rather
0: than just it, you know, a kind of metaphor there is that rather than just the company being owned by the people participating in it you're talking about kind of the whole stock market or uh, the 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 market itself being regulated by the participants in it
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: uh, in some ways kind of scary uh, yes. in some ways uh, 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 very very appealing and and important because in you know the history of the development of the short history of the development of these blockchain projects the exchanges have played a kind of critical centralizing role they've been the in some cases, the, the the weak points in the system that have been hacked and have caused problems that ripple across the networks, or you know, in some cases, they've helped kind of empower and embolden people's access. Um, so, you know, it's a critical kind of point to try to figure out how to govern better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, another use case is, for example, a social network that is trying to. Um, Basically basically a Facebook, but on on a decentralized platform. So imagine users owning Facebook um, and deciding whether or not they want ads to be a part of the business model of that network.
0: Imagine that, yeah.
1: <laughs> and um, yeah, there's another, there's a really wide variety of projects coming up. And, and for me, really, it's important that we we hold those experiments with responsibility, and with um, the again like the understanding that there's a lot of questions we haven't asked, and we'll continue to see unexpected things coming out of those experiments. So uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how we how we handle those unknowns. And yeah.
0: what lessons have arisen so far that you're taking from that first experiment and in decentralized organizing, alchemy, uh, into these new projects?
1: That it's very important to be in dialogue with different areas of knowledge. So say, instead of just building a project um, with the people interested in blockchain and Ethereum and so on, uh, leaves us with a lot of blind spots. Um, So including more biologists and psychologists and talking to more people that don't know what this is, Um, not even specialists, but like real users, uh, potential users for the systems and and just listening to to what their needs are and what their questions would be when using something like this, what their concerns would be. and and of course, what we mentioned around the balance between centralization and decentralization, you know that we can be humble in uh, recognizing the the importance of certain features in in the system and. and and I think little by little we'll continue to to discover where certain tools fit best. That if it doesn't mean that you know because we have a tool like this, we need to use it for everything, right? There are best use cases for for each tool, and um, I hope as as a, an industry, you know, and as an ecosystem, we we continue to. We, we try, hopefully, to focus more on that, on where it actually works best, what are the best use cases for this, and not try to just... it on everything
0: (laughs) Well, that's certainly a you know a tendency in the engineering mindset and you know it's something i i remember like when i first wrote a computer program that did anything you know Uh, uh, and i've really haven't done much more than that but uh you know you you experience the sense of power like oh my gosh this little bit of code that i wrote can do can spread across a network and thousands of people can use it or or can have this you know incredible uh, apparent power. And suddenly you get carried away with the idea, oh, maybe if I just hone the perfect algorithm, it will solve every problem in the world. And, and mm. that's such a kind of recurrent uh, ambition that we see uh, in this in this space. And even just the idea that engineering or just the right kind of market, just the right kind of mechanism will solve all these human problems. And uh, it turns out it seems like over and over uh that you know those other skills are necessary other human tools that we've been doing for a long time um you know so-called soft skills uh uh have a role and are actually really hard
1: yes absolutely and i think the integration you know of all those different roles and all those different tools are going to be really essential for working with those global challenges that I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we really see a a level of urgency in dealing with some of those big challenges. We see they're not, they're not being just solved by our current ways of organizing. And, um, I'm excited to see, you know, what we can, what we can do with these new tools. Um, and, um, yeah, I hope we continue to ask more questions about them and um, experiment responsibly as much as possible.
0: Well, when when you consider a challenge like climate change, right, this massive coordination challenge, you know, I, I think we're kind of stuck in this question about how can we actually do that? Can this, a challenge like that, actually be confronted through democracy, through participation, Um, or do we need some boss to step in and, and, you know, fix it for us, right? I mean, this is kind of a question of our moment, you know, and while governments around the world are turning more toward authoritarian tendencies, you know, democracy is eroding in many countries, um, in countries where it's still around in some sense, it's, you know, basically running on centuries-old models. Um, uh, Can these kinds of New strategies for participatory coordination scale fast enough to help us meet these vital challenges, or do we need to rush into the hands of of the right boss in order to solve the you know the problems we're facing? I mean, it's it's uh, uh, you know it is a kind of urgent question.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe the answer is both. You know, I think they it, it can coexist, and my hope is just is is more in terms of individuals realizing you know how or and and for us all to find ways you know that as an individual my actions will seem to fit into the collective needs right and and that they have an impact in that um but I'm excited to see what what we discover um in those next years and um I for sure hope we find better ways to to organize our efforts because the challenges are indeed, it's like a, a clock that continues to just get closer and closer to a lot of irreversible um, impacts in our planet. So,
0: You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Natalia Scherer. She, she directs ecosystem development for DowStack, which is a, a new uh, blockchain platform for uh, governance. Uh, and we've been talking about how uh, people might be able to self-organize at scale. Can we really work together on common projects in large numbers, uh, addressing major challenges that face us? Um, You can find out more at Dowstack.io and uh, explore the resources uh, uh, there. You can join the community, join the network, join some of the experiments that are, are underway. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. Looks like new is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. And you can find out more about our work at cmci.colorado.edu slash medlab, M-E-D-L-A-B. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you with comments and guest ideas. You can reach me at medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month. Thanks for being here.